You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student-athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. You know, I, I say that quite often. It's just like, look, man, like you're going to die. There's a time limit on life. And how many people are you going to inspire with your time? Kind of comes back to what, you know, Case would always tell us is you can never get more time. You can always go to the gas station, get more gas. You know, you can get, go to the store and get more food. You can never have more time. That's coming up on this episode. Now, I use this podcast to give free advertising to charities. So to hear about a great nonprofit you can support, stay tuned to the end of this episode. This is the Beaver Tales podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. What a great story we've got on the podcast today. I'm joined by former Oregon State center fielder Max Gordon. Now, we talk about a lot of different topics. This isn't the only story we discuss, but about a third of the way into the conversation, we start talking about how Max very nearly never played college baseball or made it to college at all. His senior year of high school in 2008, he was in a car crash so bad he was in a coma for 10 days. It wasn't known if Max was going to make it out, but ultimately he did survive. And not only did he make it out, he came back to play baseball not long after, and four months after that crash, he won a state championship with Ashland High School. Sadly, though, he had lost his brother in that crash, so we talk a lot about his mental health state, how he was doing emotionally and handling that as a person as he went through his college baseball career, first down in California at Sierra College and then up at Oregon State where he finished his career in the College World Series in 2013, being one of the main outfielders on that squad. We also talk about a crazy anecdote from 2013, a senior year, against the Oregon Ducks that involves a duck carcass keeping the head of a duck in his back pocket during games well he'll explain it but that is why he is called by himself the grossest baseball player in america so those are the two main topics although we start with a few minutes about what he's doing now in coaching he's been working with driveline baseball which is a data-driven performance training in baseball for the last few years so we start talking about that By the way, shout out to Ben Wetzler. He was the one who said, oh, you got to get Max Gordon on the podcast. And so shout out to Ben for that. All right, here is former Oregon State center fielder and a tremendous interview, Max Gordon. Max, thanks so much for joining the Beaver Tales podcast. It'll be a blast to talk about your Oregon State career before OSU, what you're doing now. But first of all, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, doing great. Loving life right now. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. My pleasure. It was awesome to talk with Ben Wetzler, even before him, Logan Ice. And, and you were you know, the, one of the main guys he recommended. And I said, I, absolutely. I want to talk to Max Gordon for a variety of reasons. So a lot to cover. We'll come kind of back chronologically, but just kind of to cover what life looks like now. What is kind of day to day for you, the, the coaching and life that's uh, day to day for Max Gordon these days? So right now I'm working at a driveline, it's driveline baseball. It's a baseball player development company up out of Kent, Washington, right around Seattle. And what we do, what I do is we basically kind of like we create systems and things that, that make sense in the game of baseball. Before we were very focused on just like being really good at training one person and training uh, like speed and stuff like that uh, for pitchers throwing velocity. 
but it, it was very obvious that it was, it was hard to roll out into like a team type of setting. So uh, we've been working really hard on like creating systems around like how to make it operate where you can get, you know, kind of best bang for your buck stuff um, for players and coaches and making sure, you know, like practices are run the right way and uh, a lot of efficiency is happening and, you know, you're focusing on what you need to be attacking in practice and in training that's going to correlate to positive results. So that's a lot of what uh, I'm kind of focused on, just trying to break the game of baseball and, uh, you know, not, not totally trying to reinvent the world, the, the wheel, but uh, it's definitely been uh, a lot of learning and a lot of, uh, a lot of communication between different departments and it's a, uh, it's a challenge. So uh, I've really enjoyed that part, you know, so it's, it's not easy, um, but you know, we're, we're, we're getting places and we're making a, we're making a pretty good, uh, pretty good moves in, uh, in pro ball now. So it's getting, getting to be pretty exciting. Driveline baseball is, is pretty cool. I've only talked with one or two guys about it and, and, Kyle Novak has his own thing with Base by Pros, a thing that was started by Mitch Canham. Do you see much of an overlap, since you know a lot more about it than I do, between those two facilities, training, that whole element? Uh, I think Base by Pros is going to be more, uh, more, more teams. I, I think they do something they, – they do some stuff that's pretty similar to what we do. Uh, and I know Novi's doing a really good job there uh, just because that's the type of guy he is. But um, – I, I think what, what we do different than not just based by pros, but a, a lot of different uh, player development companies or even organizations is we have, uh, we have biomechanics labs. Uh, we have a full research and development team that is just like in the coaches' pockets. And the coaches um, and the, the trainers have been really, really well-versed in like how to communicate to the R&D team. And it's really just kind of like a nerdy, I mean, it's got baseball to its roots. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of why I'm here. I'm not, I'm not anyone that's a, that, that's a math, math magician or anything, but uh, the, the way that the communication goes is, is very much different than anywhere else that you're going to find. So, so rather than just, you know, telling guys to do things because you think it's right, the, the whole idea is you have to have proof. You have to have facts. And there's got to be, like, numbers behind everything. So it's, it's really good in that way where, you know, we can hold ourselves accountable as coaches and trainers and players to, you know, make sure that what we're doing is right for, you know, each player. So, so that, that's what I think we're, we, we kind of stick out is, is we've got, we've got a lot of proof, and a lot of facts, and that's where, that's where we focus. I know you, part of your job description is to work closely with the research and development team and to maybe implement what they're doing. So what is some of the, the nerdy stuff with baseball, some of the facts that you've been learning and the, the research in baseball that you've been doing? Oh, man. Uh, well, I'm not going to consider myself a biomechanist, but, you know, I can, I can now like very, very easily break down and read graphs and like talk about body angles and, and the whole, you know, there, uh, it's really funny. People talk about like the launch angle swing. still. it's just not a, it's not a thing. That's just really, really bad uh, communication and just language barrier breakdown. Um, so, so that's the, those are the frustrating things, just the language barrier between like the old and the new. Um, but really it's, 
it's been a lot of just talking with talking with and learning from our R and D team. I mean, we'll hire we'll hire kids from MIT uh, that that come in to do analytics on some of these things. And you know, I've been here for X amount of years, and I I recently moved into the assistant director of player development role here. And you know, we'll get a 19 year old from MIT, and I'll go sit down next to him and ask him a bunch of questions about like, hey, what does all this stuff mean? And he's like, you know. You know, he's a, he's a new kid on the block that doesn't really know what to expect. And he's got me just like having, having some humility and just being like, Hey, you need to teach me stuff. still." like, I still don't know what you guys are talking about. Cause that's, that's a lot of my job is being able to like bridge the gap between the two. So, um, that, that's a lot of it is just like me, uh, just getting out of my comfort zone and learning from these guys who are just experts in, um, in what they do. So, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's also been very hard to pick up, but, um, you know, they're, they're great. Uh, they're very patient with me. So it's been, it's been good. I do see launch angle put up on, you know, you watch an ESPN and maybe they, I don't know how, how often they did this or do this all the time, but they'll put up, this is the number of degrees, the angles at them, this home run or whatever. So you tell, tell me your opinion of launch angle or the potential problems with that label or what that means. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, it's launch angle is the aftermath of what happens when you touch the ball with the bat, you know? So if you bunt it, there's a, a launch angle there, Yeah. you know, like I, I was very good at bunting at Oregon state. I probably had an average launch angle of about negative two degrees because I bunted everything just into the ground for a hit or actually mostly sack bunts. But, um, yeah, so I mean that that's kind of where coaches are saying, you know, hey, you're you're trying to have too much of a launch angle. It's like that's that's counterproductive because if a guy swings down at the baseball and he misses under it a little bit, it'll still go really high. So it'll still have a really high launch angle. So a coach would want to say, like, okay, well, you're hitting the ball too high, you need to swing down more. You know, so now we're actually getting further away from solving the problem than we are getting closer. So yeah, it's just kind of like you're right, but you're also wrong, which is the case I'm finding out very often, you know, is like I continuously and looking back to myself a year or even like six months ago and be like, what an idiot. What was I thinking? So that's good. You know, and it, it fosters growth and we're all, we're all really just making sure that we're keeping ourselves in check around here and making sure that uh, at no point anyone is thinking or, um, or especially saying we have it figured out because we don't. That's the main thing uh, that we want to continue is just, you know, stay humble. It is fascinating to get that information. You have the launch angle and it is a true stat. The ball was really coming off at 15 degrees, 30 degrees, whatever. It's interesting to see, but it's not a useful teaching tool all the time. Rarely, perhaps, is the best way to put it for the batters. Sometimes it could be used. But like you were talking about, if you say, right. oh, you need to lower the ball, well, yeah. that, wasn't, that wasn't the teaching that was necessary yeah. in that situation. Right. It's a, yeah, it, it's very much based on context. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One last thing just on this, on this topic before we come back to your own story and coming to OSU Although launch angle is, you know, maybe overused or, or utilized incorrectly, what is something else that you looked at or learned from an MIT student or another element that you you have you are higher on? Is is it a better stat, a better thing to look at? It is a teaching tool that you're using more now. Um, I think something that's really going going underlooked. It's starting to be a little bit more apparent with you know if you're watching if you're watching. ESPN right now with the playoffs going on and you see exit velocity, obviously, you know, the guys that hit the ball hard, like the harder you hit the ball, 
the more likely it's going to be a hit. And, you know, it's just continuously trying to peel that layer back to how hard you swing in the bat. And guys say, you know, have a nice, soft and easy swing up there. And like, that's also right. You know, I don't want a kid going up to the plate swinging out of shoes every time because he's probably just going to not the ball very often. But you definitely have to swing hard. Like you there. So, you know, there is that there's that happy medium. There's that balance there. Uh, something I think that's getting continuously overlooked is is just bat speed. We have some things here to measure bat speed. And I know uh, I know the leaves, they have that blast sensors, which is what we use here. To just put on the knob of your bat and swing and see how hard you can go. So um, I think that's a that's a really good start. You know, it, it's all it all comes back to how does it look in the game. If you can swing really really hard and then you you back that off to you know a balanced like good in game swing, then that's fine because you're swinging hard. But if you're if you can't swing very hard and you back off to a balanced good in game swing, then you're you're going to hit a lot of singles. Or, you know, your balls in the gap are going to get tracked down. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that people need to be a little bit more aware of and take a little bit more uh, serious, especially from the, from the youth ages. The, the younger kids, they need to be just up there trying to rip as hard as they can, especially in practice. And then, um, you know, when it comes game time, get a hit. A lot of really fascinating things. It's cool to talk with both coaches who are, are teaching the game of baseball at a school, at the college level, major level, high school level, it is, whatever it is, and then in your kind of position where you're not with a team, but it's still really hands-on stuff and, and really coaching the game of baseball and, and learning a lot. So this is really good stuff, and I appreciate your, your knowledge on that subject. So let's, let's kind of come back to your story and coming to Oregon State, and a lot of factors came into you coming to OSU. When you were at Ashland, did you think of OSU at that point or were you even, what was your thinking, you know, when you were playing sophomore, junior year, all that sort of thing? No, I saw it as like a pipe dream that was very unlikely. I, I remember watching Bill Rao hit a home run against North Carolina and he's an Ashland High School guy, you know, and Billy, Billy hits that big go-ahead home run in the World Series and it was like, man, dude, I, like, I was just so excited. I didn't even know Bill, never talked to him, never seen him my whole life, but it was just cool to be like, dang, like I went to this guy's high school. I'm playing on his field. It was like, you know, it's like a legend, uh, you know, just because of that, that one time. So seeing Bill, I was like, man, that's so cool. But like, you know, also kind of looking in the mirror and being like, all right, you know, you're five foot six. Let's get real here. It was definitely much uh, a pipe dream that I, I wanted to, I wanted to hold on to, but it was, it was not something that I was going to like really put a bunch of weight into. It was kind of like a, this is a dream that like, if it happens, it happens. If not, you know, what did you expect? Yeah. That, that was kind of like my thoughts on the beeves. And then uh, my buddy, Sam Gavilio, he ended up going to Oregon state kind of late sign. He was, uh, he was going to go to Western Nevada community college and um, real late. I think Yeski, you know, really wanted him and they, they picked him up and he ended up turning into a starter as a freshman. That was something, you know, having some conversations with him to this day, I still, I don't think he was blowing smoke, but I was asking him, like, how are those guys? Like, you know, how different is it? He was like, dude, I, I think you can play here. And I was like, ah, like, come on, man. Like, don't just say stuff because I'm your buddy. And he's like, no, dude, like, you know, you can compete with these guys. So that, that was definitely one of the, the, the things that got the wheels turning. That's interesting to hear that from Sam. And then obviously you, you did end up going to Oregon State after it ended up being your second school that you went to because of what happened late on in your high school career and however much you want to talk about that story, totally feel free to how much 
did you even consider maybe thinking baseball, you weren't going to go to baseball back at all? Or was that sort of a release when you were healthy again? Maybe you know, how much of that story again, you can lead into that, but how close are you to just not playing baseball at all? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. So my senior year of high school, getting into that car accident and, you know, losing my brother and I was in a coma for the, the whole, you know, 10 days or however long it was, it was doctors telling me the entire time, like, Hey, you can't play any more contact sports. And I was like, okay, well, I don't care. Cause it's like, what about baseball? And they're like, no, that counts. That, you know, you can't do baseball. Anymore. And I said, okay, well, that's just not going to happen. Like, I'm just going to play. And, you know, I was, I was asking questions like, well, you know, like, am I help? Like my legs aren't broken. Like what's wrong? And they're like, Oh, well, you know, your spleen is opened up. And if you take a ball to the head, you know, if you take a foul ball to the head and you're not paying attention, that, that can be lights out, you know, cause I, I had some pretty, pretty severe brain damage. So yeah, I just kind of said whatever uh, to him. And uh, I, I went into my senior year of high school uh, that spring. I just really didn't care anymore about stats, you know, because all, all throughout high school, you really want to get drafted or not drafted, uh, not, not me get drafted. Uh, you want to get signed by a college team. And so, you know, I, you know, have some good stats, put together a good year. And then, you know, you can ship it off to these colleges and somebody's, you know, going to give you a scholarship. And I was really concerned about that and it was, uh, it was selfish, but it, it's hard. It's hard not to be when you're 16, 17 years old and you can't really like zoom out and look at the big picture. So, you know, once I had a little perspective, you know, with the car accident and all that, I, I was able to kind of like step away and look at, you know, the, the more important things. And, um, you know, I realized there that I have a, I have a brotherhood and this really tight group of friends, uh, at Ashland high school that, that were still all very, very close, you know, Sam being one of them. And I just decided, you know, I don't really care what happens with baseball. I just want to win. Like, that's all I want to do. Uh, I just want to win every game. That's the one stat I care about, the, the wins and the loss column. So um, I think we ended up going 28 or 32 and one on the season when we won the state championship. So we won a lot, you know, and that was, that was fun. Uh, we, we won the state championship and, uh, and then I went off to junior college and it was the, it was the same thing. I just, I just wanted to make the team and I just wanted, and I just kept, I just kept plugging away. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough getting through um, my second year of junior college. So I, I, I go, I go there in the fall and I, I was pretty depressed and it was kind of a, it was a tough point for me because I could finally slow down and I had some time to just like think about, you know, everything that had happened. And uh, I got, you know, got down into the dumps and I ended up walking away from my junior college team uh, from the coaching staff. They actually pulled me aside and said, you know, I, I think you need professional help. Uh, and they were right. So, uh, you know, I went, I moved back to Ashland. I moved in with my parents, saw a therapist, did that whole thing. And then I was mowing lawns for the high school maintenance department. And I just got the, the ultimate ass and just called Sam up. And I was like, I need you to text me Pat Casey's number. And so he shot it over to me and I called Case and he picked up and I didn't expect him to pick up. I was like planning out my voicemail. You know, I was going to leave to him in my head and uh, I just panicked and I said, you know, like, hey, this is Max Gordon. Um, I want to come talk to you pretty much. And Casey talked to me for like five to eight minutes or whatever. And then we ended up hanging out with the phone. And I was just I just had it in my head. I'm going to go. I'm going to be up there Thursday or whatever. And so I just got in my car and started driving and uh, got up there, banged on his door and talked for like three hours. 
uh, at the end of the day, I, I left there with, you know, the coaches saying like, so you're going to be here in the fall for to try out. I was like, well, yeah, I just kind of want to say hi. You know, I like didn't expect that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. And then that, that really kind of sparked a fire for me that, that, you know, it gave me something to look forward to while mowing lawns and just kind of like going through this, this bad period in my life where it's like, okay, I got something, I got something coming that I need to be ready to go. So, uh, so I had a really good focus, like four or five months. And then, you know, I get there in the fall and the grind starts all over again. And, um, it was a lot of fun. You know, that, that first fall was a challenge for sure. But yeah, that was, uh, definitely the thought of walking away from baseball crossed my mind a couple of times, but, um, you know, there's, there's subtle hints to keep going. When it comes to, to mental health and coping with a loss, like you had both, both your own injuries, losing your brother, a person may think, oh, you recover in a linear fashion, often kind of like physical healing does that if you start out at 20% health and you every day you'll get a little more healthy until you're all better and then you're good. Whereas in reality, you, you learn from your story, it, it wasn't linear. It was kind of fine and then it plummeted and then you got help. And so what did you learn about how to handle a situation that may not be easy to track on a graph like y equals mx plus b you know what i mean yeah yeah it's um i mean it's definitely just comes down to like monitoring your thoughts uh and i think that's that's really important uh, especially as a somebody in the in the game of baseball and just in life i think if you let your i think if you let your, your thoughts get away from you a little bit you know especially in the time that we're in right now you know it's really easy to be, to be in the dumps and and that's just a that's just a toughness thing that case Case loved to talk about and he loved to instill in all of us. Um, so I think, you know, you can't measure it outwardly, but you, you, can, you can see it inside. So that's the hard one, but you got to be open enough to not be emotional and, and look at yourself from like a, a different perspective and be able to say like, okay, you're a little bit too stressed or you're a little bit too overwhelmed here. Like you got to take a break. You got to slow down. You got to, or it's, you know, or it's the other way. It's like, hey, you got to get in gear. Yeah, it's, it's hard. And uh, that's why, you know, a therapist job has to be the hardest thing in the world because they can't, you know, they can't give you a workout and, you know, watch you, watch you do the workout and then say, you know, you got this much better, you know, and they're not, they don't follow you home. Like they're not in your head tracking what, you know, what's going through your head right now. So it really comes down to you being accountable for your thoughts and, and um, you know, what you're trying to aspire to do and be. If you were talking with someone else, and, and obviously if they needed some sort of therapy themselves, obviously the best thing is to probably refer to them to a therapist of their own. But if you were to, to help out and, and offer you know, someone to listen to and maybe ask a few questions, give them a little bit of advice, what's something that you learned or questions that your therapist asked you that helped you think things through, think about things differently, the sort of things you learned that you might implement with a friend? Um, to be honest, uh, my therapist didn't really do anything for me. Um, he, he did this, he did this really weird thing. So we did like five or six sessions and at the end of where, like the fifth one, he was just like, Hey, uh, you're the most disconnected person from your emotions. I was just like stonewall. Like, I was just like, not, nah. it was just not there. You know, he like asked me like very, like, he asked me questions with the intention of me like breaking down and crying and I would just stare at him. You know, so I was just like stone cold guy. And, um, and then he did this weird thing, uh, called uh, brain spotting. Um, and that just kind of like 
flipped the switch and I, I kind of just looked at him and I, I still feel kind of bad the way I went about it because like, I just looked at him and I was like, I'm good. Thank you. And I just got up and I walked out of the office and I've like, never, never looked back. Like I've never, I, I've never had a problem since, but so I can't imagine how confused that guy is right now. <laughs> what, what just went on? Um, and like, I, I, I don't even know, uh, like truly what, what in the hell happened, but it was definitely like a trigger that just like, Oh, okay. Thanks. I'm good. Uh, so yeah, but like, as far as like any advice is, um, I would, I would want to, you know, I would want to know what the person's goal is. You know, what, what is your, what is your goal? What is your long time, like long-term thing look like? And like, what's the, what's the finish line? Um, and I think that's the, that's the main question that needs to be answered first is, you know, like what, what, what do you want to do? Like when you, when you get to the finish line, what do you want that to look like? And then the next question I would ask is when you get to the finish line and you turn around and you look at the race that you just ran, how much fun was that? Are you going to get to that line and look back and say, that was the most fun I've ever had? You know, I, I did it exact, like I did it the way I wanted to. And if it is, you know, like with the, with the path that you have laid out and that's great, just don't just stay on the path. If not, then it's like, okay, well, what's the path, uh, you know, that gets you to that finish line, you know, with that thought of looking back, it's, you know, something, something I do tell a lot of people that it's kind of dark, but it just makes a lot of sense to me is like, you know, you're, you're going to die one day. You know, I, I say that quite often, but it's just like, look, man, like you're going to die you know, so there, there is a, there is a time limit on life and, you know, like what, how much fun are you going to have with that time? Like how much, how many people are you going to inspire with your time? kind of comes back to what, you know, Case would always tell us is you can never get more time. You can always go to the gas station, get more gas, you know, you can get, go to the store and get more food, but you can never have more time. And that, that's something that just really registered with me. It's like, yeah, he's right. You know, I've, I'm, I've been on borrowed time for a long, for a long time now. So, um, Time is definitely something that's like extremely valuable. That's that can't be more true, and and you have you have known that for certain. This question, I know at least part of the answer is that you you don't know the answer to this question, and that and that's okay because you kind of just said that. But I'm still curious if it wasn't the therapist giving you some great piece of advice that changed your whole outlook on life, and you really realized the exact thing to do, but you did have a mental change at some point. What was it that ultimately got you to a, a healthier state of mind? Maybe it wasn't one thing, but, but what did ultimately help that turning point? Um, you know, I, I think it was, I think it was just, you know, being around my parents and I was, you know, at this point in time, it was, I was not a, I was not a fun person to be around. I, I snapped and I barked at my parents a lot and it was something that I'd never done in my whole life. Um, and I still look back at that, at that 19 year old, 20 year old kid that was doing that. And I just like embarrassed of like, like that was, that was tough. You know, my parents have only supported me, loved me. And, you know, to be that angry about, you know, stupid little, like, you know, paint the, paint the trim on the house or whatever, you know, like stupid little stuff that like doesn't take anything, you know, just like help. And, you know, I was just like blow up. So it was, you know, being around that and just kind of finally being able to like step back and look at, you know, what I'm doing, like, like how am I acting? And um, 
kind of like just having having the having the ability to just put myself in, in their shoes and then you know seeing all my friends around me that are constantly you know keeping up with me uh checking in on me making sure i'm doing all right and you know feeling a little bit like a charity case to them and then you know the whole the, the opportunity with oregon state and i'm just kind of thinking in my head you know as i drive up as i'm driving back from corvallis with that talk i had with case and i just remember thinking like for the first like half of the drive i was thinking you know i like this isn't going to work like i'm not going to make it and this is a, a this is a waste of time like what did i just get myself into i'm just going to go up there and just like not do well and not make this team and just like waste all the coaches time and like this is just dumb and then i was able to just like flip that so the second half of the drive it was like no, I'm going up there and like, I'm making this team. I'm fine. I'm doing everything I can. And that was, that was kind of that turning point where I just finally like put my foot down and made a decision. Like you're done wallowing, done feeling sorry for myself. Like I'm done going through this. I'm just going to start winning again. So yeah, that's the only thing that went through my head for the next like four or five months before the fall came. And after that, it was just, you know, compete and execute. Just, just get it done. You know, which is something I've always been pretty good at. If the doctors told you you're not going to play baseball, you can't do a contact sport, and that was even before your senior year of high school, I know the OSAA isn't out here well, putting themselves in liability to get sued by, by a kid who gets hurt and then wants to sue them. So how did you ultimately convince first Ashland High School and the trainers to clear you and then Sierra College and then OSU? How did you end up actually playing? I went to I went to UC Davis and I got a CAT scan and they just basically said, you know, your brain is healthy. There is there is some damage that's going to turn out turn out to be like some positive short term memory loss. But like if you get hit with a line drive, it's just like anybody else getting hit. So it, it's not going to be like if you get hit with a line drive, like there's a 80 percent chance you could die. Thankfully, I got that news where it's like, OK, I'm just a normal, you know, normal guy. From, from that standpoint, which is the, the biggest cause of concern. And then, you know, from the high school standpoint, they needed, I, I had pneumonia from all the, the tubes they shoved down in my lungs and I couldn't breathe. So um, I ended up going out of the hospital with pneumonia that lasted for three months. It, it, well, it only lasted for a month and a half, but I decided that I was going to go on a run about three weeks in or like right after I thought I had like gotten rid of the pneumonia and it was snowing outside because I'm an idiot. 17 years old and of course I got pneumonia again doing that so um yeah I ended up having it for like three total months and I basically had to just like stifle my coughs and be like very very conscious of breathing when the doctor was doing the the testing I was just like trying to do my best to like fake the test to like make it sound like my lungs weren't that messed up uh which like I don't know if I like if I did that or not but he did end up like writing me a you know, a referral to play. And then the spleen that was lacerated, they said, uh, you know, if you, cause the spleen is too thin to hold a stitch. Uh, their, their concern was, you know, if you dive for a ball and it reopens that, that spleen, you'll just like, you'll just start bleeding out and not know it. And then you just won't wake up in the morning. You're just like internally bleed out. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I just, like, uh, they're like, okay, so no diving, uh, no sliding for the first month. I was like, um, yeah, we'll see. Like, I, I mean, 
if I got it, like, if I'm going to catch the ball, like I'm just going to catch the ball. We'll yeah. just, we'll tackle that later. But like, sorry. <laughs> so I, that was for sure immaturity that like should have been put a halt to, but yeah, I, I got through, I jumped through all the hoops that I needed to. That is something else. I tell you, I tell you what, I'm yeah. glad it worked out and you did wake up every morning. Um, yeah. We all will die at some point, like you said, but you haven't reached that yet. So, so that's good. In terms of your health now and your memory, how is your status these days? What are the things that are easiest to remember, hardest to remember? Where are you at right now? I, I'm, I'm totally fine. I do got to keep a book uh, pretty handy, like a little notebook, but I think everybody does around here. We, there's so much stuff going on. So it's a lot of things. So like I've got calendars, I've got like stuff to write on at all times. But like, even then it's like, I got so much stuff written down. that it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to look for. Like if I forget anything, I got like 70 pieces of paper laying around. Just like got stuff jotted down. on it. Uh, so I could probably use some organ organizational skills, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing it. That's good to hear. I, I, I'm happy to hear that. Um, we haven't even talked that much about your time at Oregon State um, a little bit, but I mean, there's so many moments. Uh, you know, I went back and watched the Stanford catch recently and laying out for a ball at the warning track. That was a lot of fun to see. Um, we, I could ask a lot of questions, but the one that we, we talked about asking before we started recording and uh, the one I, I think I want to hear about most the Oregon Ducks, man, they're they're uh, fun to play against. And I could tell, Pat, you know, Pat Casey's an intense guy. When I was talking to Andy Armstrong, he told a story about Pat, you know, inspiring the team by saying, it was against Arizona, like reach down inside their hearts and rip it out and, you know, something like that, something real intense. And I don't know if you got that a little bit from him and just had it yourself to begin with, but you have an intense story, maybe multiple, but but uh, can you recount the Oregon Ducks one and your intensity and how you, how you played that out against the Ducks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, going back uh, in 2011, all we needed to do was win one game against the Ducks. It was the last series of the year, I think. And they ended up sweeping us. So the title went to UCLA. So they won the Pac-12, the Pac-10. And then 2012, it was the same thing on the opposite side where Oregon just needed to take one from us. Conforto makes a shoestring grab, throws Aaron Payne out at home plate to end the game. It's like epic moment. Um, so we swept them at our place. And, you know, again, the Pac-12, because of that, falls to UCLA. And then, um, so my senior year, I've got it all planned out. And, like, it had, it had been on my mind since the year before, uh, just as, like, a thing to do. But me and a handful of teammates, we went to – we were going to do, like, New Year's Eve in Bend. And um, the New Year's Eve day, I went, I went hunting with a – I went duck hunting with a buddy. And because I, I was like, finally, you know, like I have a chance to do this thing. So I go duck hunting and I ended up shooting a goose, but he shot a duck. So we just traded straight up. And he's like, you really, I had like a, I shot like a really nice big goose. And he's like, I mean, all right, yeah, I'll trade you. So, um, so yeah, I take, I take my little duck and I put it in the back of my car in a plastic bag and I drive out to Bend, stuff it in the snow. And then, uh, you know, we go out, we do the New Year's thing, come, come back, grab my duck, drive it to Corvallis. And I was living with Jared Casper, Andy Peterson, and Ryan Gordon was living on our couch at that point. So I made sure and like gathered them all up and was like, look, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to have a duck in our freezer for the next, you know, four and a half months. I was like, you guys cannot say a single, like, this has to be a surprise. Well, like I have to let them in 
on it because all of a sudden everybody's going to be talking about why is there a duck in the middle of the freezer. So, yeah, I was like, swarm all the secrecy. Yep, we're good there. And then fast forward a few months, we're playing the Ducks, Civil War in Eugene, and it's Thursday, and we're going to drive down Friday and play. And after practice Thursday, I, you know, Case is like, all right, get a break and, you know, go, go shower up, go home, see you guys on the bus tomorrow. And um, so we like break out and I was like, hey, team meeting in the clubhouse in 30 seconds. Everybody go in there right now. And I was like, no coaches allowed. And I said that specifically because I thought there was like some serious lawsuits that come that could come from like uh, coaches being a part of what I was about to do. And so I had I had the duck in my in my backpack and I had the, the zipper zipped up to to where its head was just kind of like poking through the zipper. And so I'm walking back and forth in the middle of the clubhouse and I got everybody's attention. I got my hunting knife on my hip and um, I'm sitting there and I'm giving the whole spiel, like, you know, doing my, doing my warrior, warrior talk, like, all right, you know, 2011, we lost pack 12, you know, 2012, we stole it from them. And I was like, this is the year it ends. Like this is, this is the year, like civil war is where the pac 12 like runs through and you know I'm, I'm making this big thing i was like this year this is where we like and i was like this, this is the year we kill the ducks and i like reach behind my back and i pull this duck out of my backpack and i just slam it on the table we had in the middle of the clubhouse first game we're gonna rip them open and i take my my hunting knife out and i just stab it right in the chest and just pull you know all the way down this is like this duck is old it's still like half frozen it's just like not in good shape it doesn't like cut very easily so I just like kind of pull it open. And then I was like, game two, we're going to finish the series. We're going to win it right away. It's like, we're going to pull our hearts out. And I just like reach in and just like grab stuff, pull its heart out. And I'm like holding it up like, yeah. And then I was like, all right, game three. It's like pack 12s ours. We already won the series. But just for good intention, we're going to rip their heads off. And I got to like cut its head off with this knife. And it's just like so sinewy and just like, like liquidy, it's just like not cutting. I'm just like moving it back and forth. And so I just reached down and I just like pulled it off. And I was holding it up with one hand, you know, like total Braveheart moment, like, yeah. And uh, everyone, uh, is, I'm just getting like crickets from everybody, but like Andy Peterson, <laughs> like, like Kevin Kyes is like freaked out. Conforto is just like laughing in the corner, just like at the crazy guy. Cause like him and I spent so much time in the outfield, he just like knows how crazy I am. And so he's just like losing it. And Ryan Barnes is like, dude, that what? Boyd is like totally freaked. Yeah. So I got a mixed review, but it was, uh, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. And then, so we go play Friday and we do this thing where we like, we huddle up and we're all in a circle. And it's me, Wetzler and Nate Esposito. And we're down in the huddle and um, we're like about to break and go run out of the field and play. And um, I take the duck head out of my back pocket. I set it in the middle of this, uh, the circle that we have that's got the whole team there. And I was like, you guys ready? It's like, you guys ready to end this right now? And everybody starts getting fired up. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And it's like, we break, we run out. I grab the duck head. I stuff it in my pocket and just run straight to center field. And I play the whole series with this duck's head in my back pocket. But probably the worst, the worst part of the whole story and like everything that could have gone wrong, at least to start, was we lost on Friday. So like I went through, I went through all of that time and like planning and I had this awesome speech all dialed in for us to just lose on Friday and then you know and then we got to like scratch and claw our way back we ended up winning Saturday Sunday and we won the series but it was just like man like come on guys like you gotta do me like that 
Like we like we have to win this game. If we don't win this game, like this is all this is all pointless. Did it smell bad by the end of the series? No, it smelled terrible. And like something that Conforto and Dylan Davis will just like never let me forget it was like so we won and I just decided it was now like a memento. It was like a mascot that's gonna stay with us for the rest of our time. So I left it in my game bag. And I was like, this isn't coming out of my game bag until we lose, until our season's over. What? I've got this dead duck's head in my, like, game bag that, like, goes in the dugout under the, under the benches. We got all the way to Omaha. Like, we, we almost played as long as you could possibly play. And it was absolutely disgusting. It smelled terrible. And on top of that, four weeks before the duck story, uh, we were playing Stanford, and a bird – pooped on my shoulder during batting practice and I got three hits that day. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm just never washing this off. So I was like the grossest human being in college baseball by a lot, by a lot. So yeah, I had it all going on. It was pretty funny. (laughs) Well, I know the title of this podcast episode, Max Gordon, the grossest player in college baseball. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I for sure take that title down. No problem. What did Pat Casey think of the story? Did he realize you had the duck during the series? Afterwards, what was his reaction to that story? I honestly, I don't know how. I think from from his point of view, I think he saw me like put it in his uh, put put it in my pocket before I ran out to the game, and he's like, "Did I just did I see what I think I just saw?" But I, honestly, I don't know. Who, like somebody obviously told him the story. I think it might have been uh, Jenks because I think Jenks was in there because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't on the paid staff at that point. So I think Jenks must have told the coaching staff. Uh, but yeah, Case and I haven't haven't actually talked about that story like one on one. I've told it and, and he's told it, but we've never like talked about that in, instance together. So. <laughs> And he's talked, I mean, you said he talked about it in the 2018 coaches conference with what thousands of people in the room after the 2018 season. Yeah. Yeah. It was after, after the 2018 season cases do give it a presentation and he's talking about walk-ons and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden my, my head pops up on the screen next to Kyle Novak's and he starts telling the story about me, uh, you know, like cutting ducks heads off and playing with them in my pocket. So yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's not a secret. <laughs> Does it seem like Pat Casey is the type of intense coach where he would appreciate that sort of thing because he's just as crazy as you are? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think Case, Case likes to reminisce about those, those players and those, those styles of, uh, you know, coaching where you can just – you can get in a guy's face and you can, um, you know, you can tell him exactly how it is. Uh, because I hate to say it, but he's right. And him and I have talked about this. It's like, you know, not a lot of those guys exist anymore. You know, there's not a lot of Jace, Jace Fry's and Ben Wetzler's and, uh, you know, Michael Miller's out there, you know, Sam Pavilio's where you can just get in their face and they're going to get angry and do better to spite you being mad at them. A lot of guys in today's game, which is sad, but like, and, and like there's, there's guys out there that are, you know, really tough, but there, there's also a lot of guys out there, you, you know, you get in their face and they just break down. They just like fold. Uh, so that's, it's tough to watch. And I know, like I talked to Case about this and he's like, that was an adjustment. Like I had to make, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive, you know, in the coaching world. If I, if I can't, if I can't uh, see that, like, I'm just breaking kids left and right. Like they don't respond to that. So yeah, Case, Case loves it. Case loves it when he comes across a guy that, you know, get in their face and they want to fight you. And he's like, yeah, 
yeah, I miss, I miss guys like you. Kyle Novak was that guy, the last team he ever coached. And Kyle would get mad. Pat got after him, and Kyle mm-hmm. was kind of the guy kind of like Pat, probably reminded of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noby, Noby and I played – or I, I coached the, the Medford Rogues, and Noby, Noby's talked to me, and he's, you know, he's got this, like, Max Gordon is crazy thing that, uh, you know, all the, all the kids at Oregon State, you know, heard about. And so he's asking me all these stories in life. And then, so we, we ended up developing this relationship. And as I was coaching him, I was just telling him like, look, man, like you want to know how to handle the coaches and like, you want to know how to handle case. Don't ever let him walk all over you. That's the first way out of the lineup. And that's the first way, like he loses trust. Like you got to get right back at him. I was like, so don't be scared. And I was like, and it's gonna be scary. You're gonna be freaked out and you're gonna be like not wanting to do it, but you just gotta, you gotta man up. You gotta walk through that door and you just gotta like, tell, like lay it out there and tell, tell it how it is. And um, he's just like, did you do that? And I was like, not as much as I, I would have liked to, but you're like, yeah, enough, enough to stay in the lineup. And um, you know, like Noby and Case are just like best of buds. And I, I like to think that like, like giving him that little bit of like inside, like, Hey man, you know, the, the way you're going about it, if, cause he's like, you know, how do I get in the lineup? How do I do this and that? And I was like, just do it. Just tell case I'm the starting outfielder. And he's probably just going to start you it's until you just like are not good, but he's just going to give you a chance. If you just like tell, if you just tell him, don't ask him, I'm starting in left field. He's like, okay. You know, and then if you go for four, that's on you, but you know, like he'll, he'll put you in there. Yeah. I, I love I love running the guys like Moby, you know, and the, and the John Wallace's. Yeah, it, it's been great. I think the I think the Beavs have always had somebody that's that's kind of like held that held that torch throughout the program since Casey's been there. You, you need one. Yeah, so many so many good stories about your time, Kyle Novak, Pat Casey, so many guys. So I've taken up a whole lot of your time, Max. But thanks so much for recounting what you've learned as a person in and outside of baseball. Best of luck to you going forward. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you having me, Josh. This this is a lot of fun. Well, for a guy like Max Gordon, I don't need to tell you how amazing of a story that was. You just heard what a tremendous guy and what a tremendous backstory he has. By the way, stay tuned for the Beaver Tales documentaries. I'll use a little bit of what Max had to say about Pat Casey and his backstory, although the documentary, for the most part, focuses on 2018. So check out the website in the description to learn more about the Beaver Tales documentaries a podcast series I'm producing. Also, the charity I'm featuring today is the Boys and Girls Club, local nonprofit right in Corvallis. They're doing some fundraising right now. Some normal events they would do to fundraise couldn't really do during the pandemic, so they're in some need of some extra help. So I put their website in the episode description as well. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Thanks again to Max Gordon for coming on. I've been your host, Josh Warden. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.